This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Tim Prady will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Good afternoon, everybody. Today it is the 8th. From the last time we spoke, bad news seems to be good news in terms of the market. Um, there's been a major upswing. We've, we'll get into some of the metrics, but we saw labor costs have slowed. Um, Non-fine payrolls aren't as good as they, you know, as we expected. Uh, and everything else kind of indicates that the market's slowing down a little bit. So, Tim, Tim, let's discuss that and um, what we've yep. seen, you know, if it's a dead cat bounce or I don't know yeah. if that's the correct term, but yeah. Yeah, dead yeah, cat yeah, bounce yeah, is the right yeah, term. I don't know if it's a dead cat bounce or not. Um, but look, it, it is bad news is good news. And but I think the the, the big news was the um, the quarterly refunding statement, quarterly refunding announcement from Treasury, where Janet Yellen uh, went more bill heavy uh, and continues to push the envelope of percentage of outstanding uh, debt that is bills. Uh, and that was seen as stimulative because it was seen as less pressure uh, on the long end of the curve because you're going to have less supply. Uh, but you're right that bad news has been taken very well because it continues to put pressure on that 10-year. As I've said in this podcast many times before, I've never seen a market that was more driven by a single factor uh, as this market is with the 10-year. And, and look, We've talked about this. Nine out of the last times you got to the end of a Fed tightening cycle, um, the 10-year rallied, yields were down. Nine out of the last nine times. Most of those times over a year past the end of a tightening cycle, uh, equities were higher. So why should we think anything would be different this time? Uh, so let's start with our view of the 10-year, which is that we don't know uh, where the demand is going to come from. I'm not saying it's a disaster. I'm not saying there won't be demand. There's a lot of uh, sort of exaggerated fear around China is not going to buy U.S. assets and all that. Uh, I'm just making the argument that they'll buy less because they have been, just like the Japanese, just like the oil states, and just like U.S. banks that don't need duration. So my fear is that there is an assumption, right? The great Michael Steinhardt used to say to analysts who came to him with ideas, uh, what is consensus and what is your variant view? Well, consensus is that we're now in a falling rate environment, that the 10-year is going to keep coming down, the Fed will be cutting by sometime mid-next year, and equities should therefore rally. I don't know that that's all correct. Uh, I don't know that the 10-year is going to come down. I don't know that there won't be some level of persistent inflation as inflation is currently seemingly accelerating, uh, that that consensus is going to be right. At the same time, the assumption is that earnings growth in the S&P is going to be around 12%. Well, we've just got through third quarter earnings or we're most of the way through third quarter earnings. We have negative revisions. We have a wide breadth of negative earnings revisions because the economy is slowing. And I think that we'll start to see more cracks, especially on uh, construction labor. We haven't lost any construction uh, labor jobs. The great Joe Lavornia from uh, Nico Securities and uh, my former colleague at Deutsche Bank had a great piece out today. And one of the charts that he put out there shows the huge delta after many, many years of correlation between mortgage applications and construction jobs. Mortgage applications are where they were in the mid-90s. Construction jobs are the highest they've ever been. 
those two things are going to come together. And I don't think it's going to become because mortgage applications shoot up again. Yeah, I think the 10-year change has been particularly pronounced. I mean, in mid-October, that was sitting at five, and now we're all the way down to, you know, four and a half. Yeah, incredible volatility in the 10-year. That doesn't normally happen. Uh, And, you know, for the rest of this week, we're going to get some duration auctions. So it'll be interesting. You know, the all of a sudden, the celebration of the assumption that this trend lower in 10-year yields uh, could come to an end if we get a sloppy seven-year, and I think there's a 30-year later in the week. In terms of non-farm payrolls, I mean, we were a little off consensus, increased 150000 on the month as opposed to the estimated $170,000. Uh, but a part of that might have been the UAW worker strike was responsible for some of the gap. So yeah. maybe it would have been a consensus position at all. I don't know how much right. we can read from the most recent non-farm payroll. Yeah. I, you know, non-farm payrolls, as I've said for years and years, is crappy yeah, data. Yeah. Uh, so you got to look at the, the the broad swath of employment data that we've got. And first, you want to look at leading indicators of employment. Well, temp employment has been terrible. And the essay that I just wrote, 100% used to be good odds, talks about yeah. uh, all of the leading indicators in employment that have always uh, meant that we are likely to have a recession. And the one that everybody is talking about now, well, before I get to the SOM rule, first of all, you have temp employment very weak. You have hours worked uh, very weak. You have overtime hours very weak. And the one that everybody is focused on now is the SOM rule, which is when the three-month moving average of unemployment moves up uh, 50 bips. When it goes, and, and the move has been from 3.4 to 3.9. Now, the three-month that moving average hasn't moved as much as that, but all employment has to do is stay at 3.9, and then you will have that you will have that, that SOM rule uh, uh, will be initiated or whatever you want to call it. Look, but even that is not a great stat, right? I mean, because that's based off the household survey, which is a smaller survey that has uh, lower responding rates. So again, it is there's nothing magical about the SOM rule is my only point because it's based off of pretty poor data which is the household survey my only point is that the trend is very clear on employment and what has me kind of incrementally more negative is what i talked about with the chart that shows mortgage starts i'm, so, I'm sorry mortgage applications and construction employment we haven't we, we we've raised ba- the mortgage rates from three percent to eight percent and you haven't yet seen uh, a fall in construction jobs. You are going to. Like, I mean, you know, we, we we don't know the future, but we can be pretty damn sure of that one. As we get to all the completions in new homes and multifamily, when you look at home builder confidence sentiment having rolled over sharply, the next step is you start to lose construction jobs. And And I think that the market consensus is underestimating how important that is, how big a piece of the economy that is. And 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 I always say, as housing goes, goes the U.S. economy. We also saw labor costs decline in the third quarter, and that was somewhat of a surprise. Um, you know, they fell 0.8 from July to uh, September. Yep. yep. So. Look, they're going to continue to, if employment is going to continue to weaken, wage pressure is going to continue to weaken. There's just no two ways about it. Uh, we have a secular view that we have a shortage of labor. 
and that over a long period of time, we are going to be back to there being real nominal wage growth in this country. And that has some positive impacts on the economy. It has some positive impacts on the velocity of money that we've talked about. But cyclically, we are going to lose jobs. The Fed's job is not really going to be done until they create some slack in the labor market and they're going to win. It might take them longer. It has taken them longer for all the reasons that we've talked about. Massive accumulated wealth, uh, fiscal stimulus, et cetera. But ultimately, you start to, you, you're seeing the stress in small businesses. When you look at that NFIB, uh, NFIB small business survey, which I love to look at, you are really starting to see the pinch in cost of capital. And that's why small business sentiment is as weak as it is, uh, because they are you're really starting to get through to the more to the resets of term loans. You know, I might have mentioned it last week, but I sat in on a presentation before it was my turn to speak at a conference and a real estate fund, a guy from a real estate, private real estate fund got up and said, we're, we have to put up gates on the latest fund because we're not done with the construction of our work. And our term loan just went from 3% to 9%. You know, all of a yeah. sudden at projects, those projects may not pencil like they thought they would. And all of a sudden they are burning cash. You know, and I think that is a story that has been and will be told a thousand times over um, where companies really get hit all of a sudden as they've termed out debt, but they, they you can only term it out for so long. Larger businesses, the S&P 500 companies are better off. A lot of the S&P is long cash, long, uh, and they're, they are beneficiaries of the higher interest rates, but they still sell to small businesses all over the country. So it is, it is not made the balance sheets of, you know, the big seven may be okay, but their customers are continuing to come under more pressure. I mean, what's your view right now? Are we talking about a bear market rally or is this just a, is this a sustained upswing? Well, I, I, I think it's a bear market rally. Uh, I think it's a bear market rally, but it's not a bear market rally that if I was um, that if I was trading, I would be aggressively trying to short because look, it, it, because it's hard to fight that precedent of nine out of the last nine times on the ten year. I do believe the economy is slowing. I do believe inflation numbers are going to, with a lag to this growth, but ultimately come down, uh, and therefore. If you think the 10 year is going to come down at least a little bit in the near term, it's hard to be aggressive with your bet against equities. But I really care about long term what earnings revisions look like. And I think earnings revisions are going to be negative. I think earnings revisions are going to continue to be negative. And I think as housing weakens, and I don't think there's going to be some collapse in pricing in the existing home market. There's nothing like 08. It's just that we are coming off really, really high levels of construction jobs, prices, activity in the new in the new home market. I think as that rolls over, you get some confidence loss and you know you, you get a little bit of of a of a self-perpetuating cycle, a vicious cycle, uh, where you get lower consensus uh, confidence. Companies start to lower uh, earnings estimates because they're responding to the weaker demand that they have. You start to lay off workers. Ultimately, that's how you get a recession. And I do think that ultimately we get a recession. And in that scenario, earnings revisions accelerate to the down. So I'm making the bet that earnings revisions are going to are going to mean more than some pressure on the 10 year. 
It's just not a super high conviction bet. You could see equities really levitate and multiples expand. I mean, in terms of a recession, you think everything would come together. But, I mean, recently a lot of bank economists, I mean, the consensus view is no longer it's going to happen within the next 12 months. Um, yeah. Whereas the last two years it was it was imminent and imminent, and now it seems that at least for the next 12 months it might be a somewhat of a cyclical slowdown. But well, I, you know, I think there's some career risk involved, right? I mean, you can't be bearish yeah. forever, right? Uh, yeah. And you know, we actually have look. We were definitely 12 months ago in that consensus, assuming that we we would have a recession. But as you know, we've spent a lot of time, we've written a lot about understanding the resilience in this economy, understanding the importance of that nominal wage growth, of all of that fiscal stimulus, of all of that accumulated savings. And we've respected that. And for a long time, we were in that higher for longer crowd. Now I assume Fed funds, you know, if you're higher for longer, you're saying Fed funds is too early on 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 the cutting cycle whereas now I wouldn't have an opinion strongly that 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 fed funds cutting in the second half of 24 is wrong I think that's probably right because I think there will be enough of a slowdown by that time um you know we we don't usually talk about technicals here but there's this wig breath thrust indicator um right now at it stands with the conditions they are 100% of the time it would average a 23.3% gain over the next 12 months, and we're looking at determining the ratio of advancing your stock exchange listed names to the total number of rising and declining issues. And we're also looking at the finding of a 10-day ex exponential moving average of that ratio. Um, I mean, I know we're not, we don't talk about technicals a lot. I don't think yeah. you're big into yeah. them. It's kind of, yeah, yeah. astrology no, for mean, men, but you know, when it's look, 100%, it's kind of fun. Marty, yeah. it, it's Zweig. Marty Zweig's book uh, yeah. was a super important book. It was one of the first kind of finance books or books about trading that I read in my career. Um, but it's over 30 years old. And, you know, the guys who, whether it's my old colleague, Brian Belsky at BMO or, or Ryan Dietrich at Carson, these guys, all they use is, is historicals. They look at historical examples and back tests. Well, if back, if technical back tests were that effective, more quant traders would be successful. And the fact is, is that most quant traders don't make money. So most guys who look at those kind of metrics and trade off of those kind of historical metrics don't make money. That's my experience. And I think that's the experience of most people who have run trading shops and tried to bring in a lot of quants uh, who are using those kind of technical historicals. I'm not saying it doesn't have value, but look, the market usually goes up. For the last 40 years, the market has usually gone up. So these kind of back-tested historicals, when this has happened, when you've had this momentum, it continued. But look, the same guys would have crushed you in 22. The same guys would have crushed you in some of these drawdowns that we've had, uh, that we had here earlier in October. So I just don't think that people who rely entirely on historicals like that are helpful to 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 most people making money and making long-term investment decisions. That's so why you got that past performance is not indicative of future returns <laughs> on yeah. everything. Yeah. Um, all right. So anything we had elections last night, you know, albeit they were regional in name, wasn't there's was a couple governors races that I thought were interesting. What do we determine from them? I mean, we have elections 
the big election comes up in about a year. And um, yeah, yeah, you know, Democrats overperformed nationally. And that's this has come in the context of all these recent polls, the big CBS poll that came out recently and others that showed the Democrats, you know, a, a potential battle between Trump and Biden. Uh, Trump wins in a lot of those battleground states. So um, I look, I, I'm certainly in the camp that uh, the Democratic Party would benefit uh, by having a different uh, a different names at the top of the ticket. Um, and I think that this election, this outperformance of the Democrats is going to uh, bolster the view of those who believe that President Biden should stay in. Um, um, even though you have, you know, senior old Democratic hands like James Carville, uh, saying that he probably should step aside. I, I think the impact of these votes that we got yesterday, the Democratic outperformance, um, makes it less likely that Biden will step aside. That's, yeah, that's, that's what I think is the biggest take from it. Yeah. I think it's taking a lot of wind out of the New York Siena polls, um, which shows him losing five out of the six battlegrounds. Right. Wisconsin being the exception. So the only base of support Biden has kept is with older white folks. Um, yeah. Everywhere else he's declined. And that might, maybe they don't vote for Trump, but the indication is labor, you know, the participation, voter participation will be a lot less. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think what they demonstrate for me is that Democrats have more of a top ticket than a down ballot issue. I mean, Andrew Bashir won by six points. He yeah. ran on the infrastructure bill. He ran on a lot of Biden's policies. You know, yeah. this is a bridge in Kentucky that was built because of this bill, um, yeah. X, Y, and Z. But yeah, it's just, he's got an age problem. 50% polls, of people seem locked in. Polls don't seem to capture motivation pretty well. And yeah. the I think the results of last night show that Democratic voters, at least for now, appear to be more motivated. Um, you know, how will that look in 2024? If it when it's Biden against Trump, my guess is you'll you'll get the same effect as you've had before, where a whole lot of people are indifferent towards Biden, but will come out to vote against Trump. And that's why Biden got as many votes as, as he did, is because people really were interested in voting against uh, former President Trump. Right. And there will maybe at some point there's got to be, you think, diminishing returns to this Roe v. Wade uh, thing. I mean, it obviously motivated people for. 50 years on the other side, and then, you know, you got the, you know, the end of Roe v. Wade. It seems to be motivating more secular voters or people who are more pro-choice. But I don't know if that's going to be the case every cycle. You can't, well, you know, you we'll can't see. Like yeah. We'll see. I mean, it, I think it depends on how the Republicans handle it. Uh, a lot of Republicans are just like, look, let, let, let's let leave it to the states. We already won on this thing with leaving it to the states. And let's adopt a 15-week uh, type number, which is some kind of middle ground, whether 15 week, eight, whatever, there's got to be some middle ground. Whereas a lot of powerful national Republicans want to press on a national, you know, abortion ban or a six week abortion ban, you know, a Florida uh, type law. And that's just been a killer for them. So, you know, the moderates in the GOP don't tend to win these, these battles. And my guess is they won't win this one either. And ultimately, that will be a tailwind for Democrats. The last thing I wanted to talk about, Drew, and it's not about politics, is that I have been surprised a bit with the weakness in oil and the, the degree to which the world seems to believe 
that the worst is over with the conflict in the Middle East. Uh, it, 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 we, we, you know, Hamas has had, not Hamas, Hezbollah has had some, a little bit more conciliatory statements. The Iranian functionaries have had a little bit more conciliatory statements. So there's, there's a belief that this isn't going to become a wider conflagration while at the same time, the Israelis have said, no, we are going to occupy and control every bit of Gaza going forward. And to me, those two things don't really match up. Like you can't have one and have the other. If the Israelis are going to take a hard line and really try to eviscerate every bit of of Hamas throughout Gaza and with the, I'm sorry to say, atrocities that will come along with that, all of the innocent civilians who will die along with that, I don't see how you could have such a quiescent uh, Middle East beyond the borders of Gaza. Yeah, and we don't know what Netanyahu's perceived occupation is going to look like, whether there's a state-building component or whether this is a nine-month stint, you know, like whether it looks like Iraq did when they retook Mosul from ISIS. If it looks like that, I mean, that's one thing. If it looks like a protracted military's in there for several years, um, yeah, I yeah. mean, you're just going to have hardening of positions throughout the Middle East. And, and despite the fact, you know, Iran, we hit two ammo dumps in Syria. Yeah. Um, and that didn't seem to change things in the big picture, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. We'll see. Somehow Hezbollah yeah. and Iran have had some level of restraint. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it, it's hard to make the bet that that's going to last though. Yeah, well, absolutely. All right, Tim, thanks for your time today for all our listeners and subscribers. Thanks as well. And we're out. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WellFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WellFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WellFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WellFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.